This is Life with Alcohol and Drugs, a podcast from the charity Scottish Families Affected by Alcohol and Drugs. This is episode one, Becoming a Support Group Leader with Mel McPherson. We'll be speaking with Mel about her journey and how she started the support group My Support Day, how they've continued to support families throughout the COVID pandemic and even starting a new service called All in the Family in the first lockdown here in Scotland. So hi Mel, how are you? Hi. How's your week going? Yeah, my week's going, it's going really well. Pretty busy, um, as you can imagine, running up to annual leave. But I know it's going really well this week. Excellent. Okay, so we're pretty much here to talk about you for a good wee bit of time and sort of all the success we've seen with you with my support day and of course on the family so could you tell us a little bit more about you and sort of how you got to where you are today running a support group yep so my kind of journey I suppose started really quite early on in my life I was surrounded with immediate family who all had issues with substance use whether it be alcohol or drug dependency so that kind of carried right on in my kind of Later on in my adult life, the effects it had on my family were really profound to the part where, you know, three of my family members are no longer with me. And I felt the really hardest part was um, the loss of my brother in 2000. That hurt me really, really bad. Didn't really accept his death for quite a long time. I would say quite a good few years had went by and how it was dealt with about the death and people's reaction to it because his addiction to substances and you know it was quite it was quite public as well so that was really hard for me and a massive effect it took on my mental health and well-being was massive took me quite a while to get back on my feet and they always say your life begins at 40 now they're saying 50 I'll take 50 because I'm kind of heading towards that kind of range soon so <laughs> but no I, I suppose in my 40th around about after I turned 40 I took quite unwell and I suppose, looking back on it with the hindsight, it was probably stress-related, not eating properly, not sleeping, probably hardly at all, total anxiety always building up. Just everything, I suppose, that, you know, years and years of tools are dealing with someone else's addiction and the stresses and everything else that comes with it. So I got myself back on my feet and sorted myself out and got myself in a really, really good place. Um, that came me... You know, a lot of work from the doctors and counselling and stuff like that. Kind of decided, no, something has to change. I can't be the only person that this has affected so profoundly. And to hold that in for so many years, you know, 20 odd years, and I hadn't addressed the the, the issues that had faced me uh, through somebody else's addiction. So I decided to go and join an open university course, as you do and I went to go and study um, my BS honours in psychology and in that I decided it'd be quite good to try and get some work experience but I knew the field that I wanted to work in. I wanted to always kind of work with people that had been affected by someone else's addiction and so started digging about, did a wee bit of research and I was absolutely shocked that there was nothing um, in my locality in Southland and in fact if you looked even further into it, nothing really very much in Scotland and I came across a Scottish families. I asked to do it. I'm sure it was a scoping exercise for something to do with the NHS. Can't even really remember what it was, but I was like, right, I'm totally up for that because it was all about people being affected by somebody else's addiction. And again, my, my health didn't take too great, took a wee bit of dip. Um, sent my apologies 
Uh, but on the back of that email, so I got kind of on my feet. I was quite brazen. And I remember it was December 2018 and saying, I'm really sorry I couldn't come to that, but is there any chance I can come into the office and perhaps have a chat about doing some volunteer work? You know, um, my parents always said I'd a bit of a brass neck in me um, when I was younger. And all I think hear this saying of one of my kind of co-workers is like, shy wains don't get cake. So um, I suppose I kind of went with that ethos. And I was offered to come into the office in January 2019 because things were starting to wrap up. So, of course, I took that, went in in January the 6th. I met the lovely Susie McClue. We kind of gave her the basics of what we were doing. We had a chat. And what initially started out as I I was looking to do volunteering, perhaps on the telephone or some stuff around about the office or any other projects that were going on. Um, She had mentioned that CORA funding does start-up grants if I was ever interested in running my own support group. They do these start-up grants. She's like, no forcing you into anything just now, but go away and have a think about it. By the time I was down the bottom of the stairs outside, I'd phoned two people already asking them if they wanted to start up a support group. And I think that was Monday. I'd been in and seen Susie. And by the Wednesday, uh, a previous colleague had agreed to come on board. And, you know, my support day just kind of, just kind of, up to I remember kind of linking back in and saying no I'm going with this can you send me the funding form all that was felt and I was asked to go on and access it would be really good training for us to go on and do craft training and I'm kind of going craft training like what making stuff like, what's that got to do with helping people but when it was explained to me it was community reinforcement approach and family training I gave me a, a bit of info on it we went on the training with George Charlton well, who's no ever bold or with George, do you know what I mean? I've yet to meet somebody who's so unique, but he gives such a fresh outlook into the training. I was totally bought. And I remember reading it going, oh, it's a bit of American bump, you know, somebody like me who's kind of been brought up, you know, pre- predominantly in Glasgow and then moved to South Lan kind of later on. Um, I'm like, what's this all about? But when the training kicked in, it was like a massive light bulb moment. And I was like, that's all works because... People kind of done that sort of stuff with me to get me in a good place. And it was just a massive light bulb moment. So we took that approach to the craft and we ran with it in my support day. We started in April the 27th in 2019. And kind of this is where we are now. And we use that approach and it's we use it through talking all the time. We just talk about, you know, how about, you know, communication and maybe doing it this way or suggestions and kind of guiding people into how to do stuff differently, which is all about looking after. It's really predominantly about them looking after themselves and their own self-care and that. So, I it's been a wee bit, yeah. It was a quick journey when I first started with a conversation <laughs> for volunteer work, but the support kind of that, that came from the back of that with Susie was just absolutely brilliant. She took me through it step by step and, you know, the initial start-up funding with Cora. Aye, that made me a good budgeter, I think. Um, I, I've realised I can make a £1,500 go quite a long way. Um, I'm quite, re- quite resourceful. Um, so, no, it was really good. And now it's been like we're heading for our, our two-year birthday. And it's a bit like, my goodness, the quickest two years of my life. But it's probably been one of the best, one of the best two years. That's amazing. I love it, though. It's like full Scottish family's treatment. Just as mm. soon as you appear through the door, it's like, yes, here's everything. <laughs> Because I even remember meeting you in the office a couple of years ago. And it's just amazing to see where you are now. Still there, still supporting people and still doing amazing. That is, that's absolutely brilliant. As you said, you know, you're coming up for your two-year birthday now. So you must, you've supported many families now and many people. 
And of course, before pandemic, you were running a lot of groups. We sort of usually hear about support groups and some people say it's not for them or they don't feel that they want to attend a group. It can be quite a it can be quite a challenging thing. It can be quite a scary thing to go into this setting where there's other people and then sort of have to share your story. And, you know, some people are, are quite good at that and they find a comfort in that. And some people can be quite um, restricted or just not really feel comfortable doing that because sort of when we hear in the Scottish Family Support Services, you'll hear that some people are more comfortable in one-to-one sessions and then our Family Support Development Officers will encourage them to go into groups. So if you can tell us a wee bit about going to a support group, you know, from the leader's point of view, sort of what's it like, what is your groups kind of like and how have you been helping people? Firstly, I just want to start off with I totally understand, like people feel more comfortable, especially if you're a person that's been affected by somebody else's uh, substance use, because your trust is at zero, is at rock bottom. You do not trust anyone. Um, and I'm just kind of speaking from a personal point of view, from my personal point of view. I didn't, didn't trust anyone, didn't trust anyone, didn't trust any services. My kind of knowledge around about services was support, what support, what support. You know, so my trust was totally short there. I didn't trust people outside because for me, it was like I was just their gossip or I was the person that they would whisper about behind the back. Though, in saying whisper, I mean, use that 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 kind of phrase whispering a bit lightly because, you know, I could really hear what they were saying as I was walking by them, so maybe they need to practice their whispering a wee bit better. You know, your trust is just at zero, you know, and I totally understand that. And this is where it's like a safety thing for people and I know for me when I and, and I speak about families getting their recovery because I'm really a strong believer in it's not just the person that has the substance issues that get their recovery families are, are entitled to get their recovery as well as them so when I kind of refer to recovery I refer to my recovery through somebody else's substance use I mean I had to have the one-to-ones whether it be you know going to doctors I had two people that I only trusted in my life only two people one of them was my husband, the other one was his mum, who like supported me at the worst times ever that you could ever imagine. And it would have been easier, I suppose, for that family to give up on me, but they never they stuck by me because at times I wasn't easy. Because I didn't I couldn't understand my emotions and control how I felt and things were out of my control. So I suppose sometimes my I wasn't easy to handle at times. And I'm not embarrassed to say that because that's just the effects that the knock on effects that it has within your life. So I totally understand when people say they need to engage in that one-to-one. It's a trust issue. It's like they have to start somewhere to build that trust. With a support group, though, I would say the first level is we have to work in someone's trust and get it there that they feel comfortable and safe. It's all about getting people feeling comfortable and safe. It's really important. But then there's the next step, and I always say it's reconnecting because I totally disconnected with the outside world. I had no connection with anyone wouldn't speak to anybody. I would either walk my head pure so high up, it was like sitting in the cows, because if I looked all the top of everybody's heads, I didn't need to look at them. Or I would look down at my feet. There was no in between. I couldn't connect with people because I, I just didn't have, I felt like I didn't fit in anywhere really, if that makes sense. So for me, it's reconnection because if we don't start building connections with other people, we can't move on. We can't move on. We need to build somewhere that trust and that connection. When people come into the group, I get, like, television perceive it's so funny. 
blow sit in a circle and we'll all talk. Now sometimes we do because it's the way the room layout is set, you know, but genuinely there was me when I first started out with my support day with two bags for life, Aldi's bags for life, you know, no promoting Aldi's, but supermarket <laughs> bags for life. And uh, in them was my kettle, my cups, my tea bags, everything. And um, I'm pretty sure it was George when we did the training for craft had said to me, all you need is if you can offer somebody a cup of tea and a biscuit and be there and support them, that's all you need to do. That's all you need to do. And I remember that, so I was like, well, I was a wee bit tight and I thought, no, I'm buying cups that I can rewash and reuse again. <laughs> I'm not buying paper cups, a wee bit stingy at the beginning. You know, and I would make sure they had a good biscuit and a box of hankies and people would come in. And um, for us, I just opened up and I go, you know, normally I'll go whatever, how my day's been, and we kind of just go, so how's everybody else been? And it's just a really open chat. I remember one session, I'm like, I think this is a support group session, we're here talking about Love Island, but do you know what? Hey, who cares? Because, you know, these people, you know, the guys that come in and access support, that's what they wanted to talk about, because probably they weren't talking to MD outside, they weren't engaging with MD, so who else were they going to talk about? Does it matter if we're talking about Love Island to their loved ones and things like that? Because the conversation would always get rid of that. But for that moment, that enjoyment for them, for me, was let's talk about whether it's Love Island, Coronation Street, you know, and I'm not a big fan of Love Island. I say to them, I don't even know what you're talking about. I absolutely hate it. But then comes in the conversation about how things have happened. And what you naturally find is it's no me it's taking the group. It's very peer-led. So you will have someone sitting next to them that have been in similar circumstances and then they'll start talking about how they cope with it. If they found something that worked for them or someone would say, well, I tried this and this worked for me or I tried this and this didn't work for me. And what you find is they start creating their own wee community and they start being very peer-led. And all I'm doing is creating this really safe environment for them to come in. We absolutely reiterate that anything that gets saved in the room stays in the room. Because for me, trust is a massive thing. My trust was broken so many times that I'm so rigorous with it. Like, you know, and I remember somebody saying to me, you know, before we kind of, and where I'm at now is like, um, somebody mentioned GPDR to me and I was pure like, what's that? And they're like, well, where do you document like people's names and their numbers? And I'm like, in here. So if anybody can get in my head, like, good luck to you because you don't want to know what's in there. All these kind of structures. And what I used to say to people is I don't write anything down. Still don't write anything down. There's no need for me to write anything down. And then for there, what we used to do was listen to what people were looking for. So I really found that a lot of the times we'd even have conversations about, I don't even know what it is I'm looking for. I wouldn't even know what that drug is. So in the back of that, I would go and scurry away and find the information of people who could come in and tell them the information. You know, the group really ran itself. It was so relaxed. I can't tell somebody how they feel, but I made that environment safe for them to come in. If they were having an off day and wanting to have a batty rant about something, you're in a safe environment to have that rant. I'm not going to sit there and judge you. Probably been in that position a hundred times, like where they are, but if they can't come in, and run and get ready how they feel inside themselves. What else are they going to do with it? So we've kind of run with that, that, you know, really safe environment. Nobody's here to judge you. And it's really, really relaxed. We have conversations. And I, there's loads of tears and loads of things get said in the room. But there's also times where the connection is so good between the people and the support group that 
they realise, oh, such and such has no been here for a couple of weeks, has MD checked in on her, I'll check in on her. And what they end up finding is they start creating their own community. And it's about doing that peer-led kind of recovery, I suppose. We hear about it very much in the recovery sector. Well, who's, why, why can't we have the same for the families? Because they, they, they so need it more than anything to get them through the really bad times. So I'm quite a laid-back support group. Nothing's kind of off, off the table. And um, I just go, oh, that's fine. That's how you feel today. I'm not here to tell you how you feel. Um, but we very much support them. I say I can't give them the answers, but we'll support you while you're finding them. Could be weeks that they don't want to talk, they just want to sit in there with company, and that's fine as well. But there's no rules, really. I would just say confidentiality is just one of them, and there's there's no rules. There's no, like, you have to follow this, or this is what we do, or we run with any sort of ethos. We just talk, and when we talk, we, we talk, and everything that we always kind of say back has always got that ethos of craft, the seven components of communication, always woven through every conversation that we have, because they get it. Can they sit down with a sheet of paper? They haven't got the attention span because who, they probably haven't slept for the last God knows how many months. Now I'm wanting them to sit and fill in a sheet. Probably flying the sheet at me. So we talk about it and we talk about, you know, and I always use this kind of, the way that we look at it. They're coming in here as we're in an empty tool belt and I've always said this from the beginning and we're going to give you the, the tools for you to cope in life because, you know, it's about being sustainable for them. You know, there's people that come in and they just run with it. They run, they run with the kind of support that we give them and they foster craft and they totally get it. But there's other people it takes them a while to get there. We don't know the levels of trauma that they're sitting in. So who am I to say if you've not got that after three months, like you're never going to get it. You know, it's just about being really personal centred for everybody as well, I suppose. But uh, it's about giving them the tools that they can go in life and kind of cope with when really certain situations come up. Um, so I, we're so laid back and my support is out the horizontal sometimes but that's it's just that's that's what people like about us I suppose. It's really that going above and beyond for people and being there for people and that's really as you're saying what people need they just need somebody to listen and somebody to really listen to them because you hear a lot from people, you know, when they when they reach out for support, for example, if they're they're going to their GP or, or something, they don't feel listened to. And yeah. it's just it's that's that kind of support that's needed. They just need to be listened to and as you said, that's that's such an such a needed um aspect mm-hmm. of it. But even listening to you there speak about that. What we say in Scottish families is we almost say that our team are like sponges and you just soak up everybody's emotions and everything that they are needing. And it's it can be really difficult to be a support group leader, and we know that. So much empathy, really, as I said, going above and beyond and doing everything that you can to support people. So, sadly, we've sort of seen over the years peer-led groups that are no more because it, it can it can get so much for people, and, it's, and you need to look after your own mental health and well-being as well. So, as a support group leader, what would you, what would you say would be the like the positives or like the negatives of being a leader? So the positives, oh my God, it's like how long's your list? It's like a kid's Christmas list. Do you know what I mean? How long's that role going on for? Oh my God, the positives for me is when I went in and started up my support day, I'm like, see if I just helped one person. That was me. I was quite happy um, to help that one person because I knew the effects it had on me over 20 plus years. It took me not the best places probably did things that, you know, weren't great for my loved ones either. Um, but you do what you think's best in the, in that moment in time. 
And I think for family members, they beat themselves up about it. We talk about, see that stick that you've got, do you want to put it down and stop batting yourself with it because you only did what you thought was right at the time? Because if you don't know any anything else, then you don't know anything else. So I guess for me, like it's just if I could help that one person, and I always keep that in my head, it's like just help that one person because that one person helped me and stuck with me. So it's a bit like when somebody gives you that inside yourself, you want to share it out to other people, I suppose. So for me, the positives is like you're totally helping somebody because they can't get in any worse situation than where they are. They're connecting with somebody and they're talking about it and they're not holding it in. Secondly, I love it when they come through the door, and that sounds, I don't know, when they come through the door, and I, I don't sit here with rose-tinted glasses on, we're probably the last protocol that they're ever going to come to, and I don't dress up anyway, and I'm all right with that, and I think that's why I'm here. When you see them moving on, it's just, you just notice it's the small things. Perhaps somebody's came through the door, they've had knee, not that they've, they've no like yourself go and I'm not mean that in any bad ways but it's like see when you're no thinking very straight clearly in your head it comes out in all many different ways it's like when you see them they've maybe came in and they've no bothered with their hair like putting a dye through says me who my roots are about six inches down my head but I'll put that down to Covid at the moment you know no makeup and it's just stick you know the first bit of clothing that come in and it's these small changes and they start coming through the door and they maybe just start with put a wee bit of lappy on this week or then you see people coming in, they've got the hair done and before they would walk through the door, they're kind of looking at the floor and now they're knowing they're kind of standing up a wee bit more taller and then you start getting the wee cracks of smiles at them that they probably have never done for weeks, for the first weeks or months even when they come through the door. They then move on and what they're doing is they're actually supporting somebody who's perhaps just walked through the door and you just see them growing as a person and getting more confident. To me, that's just brilliant. I'm a very people watcher. I love watching people, right? I'm quite a nosy kind of person and I just love watching how people go about things and that. And for me to see people change and get stronger, we're just giving them that, that place and that space to have a breather and get the right support that they need and get them connected into other people. For me, that's that's like one of the biggest things um, of being a, a support leader, I suppose. That's my bit. That's that's me personally. I love that bit. I love seeing people kind of moving on and going on to things that they thought they could never do. We hear people saying, I used to draw all the time or I used to write. And I'm like, right, OK. One of the things we always say to the guys is write a list of stuff that you used to do, but you don't do it anymore. Fate having a cup of tea, right, there's a growing joke in my support day, I never finish a cup of tea because I'm always too busy, right, I've got a thing about, I have to be on the go all the time, so it's an ongoing joke, when I actually finish a cup of tea, I'll actually take a picture and send it to everybody, so it's quite funny, they're like, oh, you should actually finish a cup of tea, but it's these small things, like have a cup of tea, have you taken 20 minutes out even to just lie in a bath, or put a face pack on and it's all these small things and that's how we kind of build them up and it's great to see when perhaps when somebody hasn't done something in such a long time they say I've done that and I can't believe I've done it or I've went out and I haven't checked my phone for that that half hour or that hour and it's nice and refreshing when you see the changes coming in because you can see it how it changes that mood in somebody just these small changes so me I love that I love seeing that about people that these small changes come in I suppose that's what keeps me where I'm at I mean, there are negatives in doing a support group. It's hard work. No even going to deny it's no hard work. If somebody says, I don't know, do it for the other job, it's hard work. 
it is hard work and it can be frustrating at times because we're looking for the answers perhaps that we can't give them and sometimes it's quite hard to get your foot in the door with some different sectors. I remember first starting it with my support day. One of my best assets I think is persistence and you have to be persistent. Just because somebody said no to you first time, maybe second time, third time, they'll still say no. But I'll just keep going back because there's for me there's there's no problems. There's only solutions to every problem. So there's you know, my granny always used to say there's more than one way to skin a cat and and there is, you just keep at it. You need to be quite persistent as a leader and I know that can grate a lot of people down. At one of my biggest shocks were people didn't understand about family support. You know, I would go out and I would speak to services and they would kind of just, you'd have that, what? Kind of look about you, what, what you, family support? Like, no, we should be supporting the person. I'm like, but you're asking family members to support them while they're accessing recovery, nowhere near recovery. What do we do with the people if they've lost someone? Do we just forget about them? Just leave them to go on with it? So for me, it was like, I was a bit dumbfounded that people looked dumbfounded, that you were supporting people that had been affected by somebody else's substance use, and that used to get under my skin quite a lot. But me growing as a person, perhaps maybe 10 years ago, I would have pure had it out with them and had an explosive conversation, perhaps. But now I'm like, no, we just need to educate them. We need to educate them that it is good to support people because if we support them, what we're doing is we're actually putting them in a good place where they, they'll actually be good if in the hope that the loved one does get into recovery or they don't, but they still need to get in a good place to kind of move on in life. That being stuck is the most horriblest feeling. I've stuck for 20 odd years and didn't know what to do. And it's the most horriblest, frustrating feeling and you don't know what to do with it. So it was quite hard for me finding services and they were a bit, some of them were a bit resistance at the beginning and, you know, having a, well, I don't see where we come into this. I'm like, oh, it's just no getting it. So for me, I found it really frustrating, but I learned that I actually developed quite a lot of patience through that. So you have to be quite patient. Another thing is, we know sometimes family members can come in and access this maybe the once or the twice, and then they don't come back. And you as a person, it sits with you because you know that they still need that support. And if they engage in that support, my goodness, how much better would could you make their, you know better, but how much could they be better within their life with the right support? But you need to have that bit of acceptance that as well, they need to be ready to access the support, I suppose. So for me, it's quite frustrating when you get, sometimes you, you just get someone who engages with you once and twice and then just drops off the radar. It's really, really hard to deal with. My first time dealing with that was, and you do take it a bit personal, is it me? Am I not doing something right? And it's, it's not about you and what you have to do is take that away from that and just remind yourself they're just not that right place at that moment in time to get the support that they're needing. So you just always leave the door open. Learned that. I've always left the door open. If you need to come back and access this as a service, and nine times out of ten, most people have that have dropped off, they will come back at some point, whether it's three months, six months, and they're normally ready. They're probably only ready at that point. So there are like loads of negatives. Um, you know, and there is. It's hard work. It's loads of hours that go into it. And um, there's been many a night I've sat up in the wee small hours in the morning, um, doing stuff because I'm like, it needs to get done. Um, deadlines, uh, funding. Got to say, when you start out your support group, if you're no a charity, really hard, really hard. You do, there is no a big vast amount of funding that you can get as just a support group that's no a charity. So I found that really hard. 
and that's probably where <laughs> now when I get money, I think sometimes I feel scared to spend it. And I'm like, no, you need to spend it because if you don't spend it, the funder will no refund you again. <laughs> so it's quite hard. So I went through one extreme to the other, so it's like quite weird. But I did find it really hard. You know, we ran in a really a shoestring budget for a year. It just that first uh, initial core funding, which was like £1,500. And a lot of places that we went to visit, uh, could, could we run our support group out of here? We, we, we met it with a bit of resistance. So it was quite hard. So I would find that that's the negatives. But for me, I just looked at it as a challenge. It wasn't a negative. It was a wee challenge. And I'm like, right, OK. Nothing's ever came to me smoothly. So why would this be any different? So you just got to kind of look at it slightly different. But I would always say the positives are seeing people and how they grow and move on. It's nice to see that they then start supporting other people, that peer support that it outweighs everything for me. Anytime, any positives, any negatives, always outweighs it. You mentioned that as well, like on your shoestring budget for a year. Um, and we were talking about my support day. Now, we're moving on to the big theme of, of course, COVID, which I'm sure we're all sick of hearing about and sick of talking about. But in a weird way, this whole, this past year, because now it's nearly been a year, you, at the beginning, so sort of March 2020, when we went into our first lockdown. I remember our helpline development officer said she was putting together sort of the service ditch because a lot of treatment services and um, support across Scotland sort of shut their doors and didn't really know how to manage this. But I remember, like I said, our helpline development officer, she said the only family support available right now is us, Scottish families, and my support day. So you clearly stopped um, face-to-face sort of sessions but immediately moved online. Um, by phone and stuff like that and also of course we then seen uh, the partnership between Scottish Families and My Support Day where a new service was created all in family uh, during 2020 you know this big amazing new group this service that appeared in a year that most of us want to forget but you know that was huge so do you want to talk a wee bit um, about that and sort of maybe we can talk about the pandemic itself and sort of how it's affected both you and the people that you're supporting? Oh my goodness, when the pandemic happened, I, you know, I remember it was a, it was a Friday before everything went into lockdown the Monday. we just finished a support group and I had a call from um, my kids' nursery saying she was extremely unwell. So I went down and she was, she was really ill, got her home. But then I got a call from the high school and um, my oldest was the same. Um, and at that point, you know, my two children had contracted coronavirus, which was quite scary. And I remember phoning the Beacons and letting them know. And within that, it was like, right, we're shutting down. Because we knew it was on the cards anyway, so everything kind of shut down the Monday. In that lockdown, oh my goodness, the calls that came in through my support day's phone were just... It was just a no-go for me to stop the service, right? Because the way I was looking at it was, nobody knew how long this pandemic was going to last for. We knew it was serious because the whole world had shut down, basically. But that doesn't mean to say that people are, you know, are going to stop drinking. In fact, they're probably going to hit it more. And um, people are going to stop taking drugs. That is not going to happen. And what I was finding, you know, and that was always my concern. And that Friday, going, oh my God, like everything's going to go mad. And what I found, the calls started coming in, and it was like lapses, relapsing, in the same household. It was just not a, it was a no-go for my support day. It was just absolutely not, no happening. At first I was like, the phone was just on like Sunday right through to Saturday. 
and then I had a wee scurry about and I kept thinking, go to be something, go to something, some other way. Right? And then I seen this thing about people were talking about Zoom online. So I went away, had a rubbish room about Zoom, took a crash course in my cell phone, YouTube and Zoom, and within um, seven days we were up and running online on Zoom and running two, I think at the time we offered two support sessions to begin with in the phone line sessions. And I remember the first session with the guys, I'm like, we're going to make it a wee bit longer because it's slightly different and we'll talk you all through how we do this. Me, no really knowing what I was doing with them at the time. And it was so funny because I think the first hour was like, I'm on mute. No, you're on mute. Can't I hear you? No, your camera's <laughs> off or your camera's on, but we can't hear you. And I think that was all from the first support group session. It was quite funny. But the guys got the gist of it. And I was really aware that we were probably one of the kind of first that were up and running. And it was no the case of doing it alarm the first. It was the case of I can't walk away from my family members because this is going to be the worst for them. The worst. You know, you have people going, yes, working from home and everything. And I'm betcha not saying that now because I'm only, I imagine, you know, when I, I took myself back to when I was younger as a child, I had nowhere to go. But I was in a house with people who were, um, who were alcohol dependent, substance dependent, and there was nowhere for me to go. So that totally raised awareness in me, going, oh my God, I knew how I felt back then as a child. It's no different to an adult because how are we going to control this? So it was never a, a, a no win, you know, a no go. I knew that we'd put in um, for the funding for just before Christmas for us to do this partnership, my support day to do the partnership with uh, Scottish families, which I was totally, couldn't believe it, man. I was going off my head. Um, I was like a big kid in a sweetie shop. It was like I'd won the lottery and... I just remember thinking, right, that'll no happen this year. <laughs> and that was my first, but I was like, I'm fine with that. I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'll keep moving forward because it, it was never a, I just stopped doing what I'm doing because of it's no really, it's no really, I'm not going to, you know, it's no really for me. How can I do it? It wasn't about me. It was about the families. You know, you have to put you think aside. And I'm like, right, right, there's got to be a way this. So, when we got told that we were accepted for the funding, oh my goodness, I think all my neighbours must have heard me screaming for like inside my house. They must have been going, geez, either went a bit mad we've been at home or whatever, but I was so excited. Uh, I think my two kids fully what's going on. It was the best news ever for me. And I've got Laurie Lee and Lisa Kerr. Uh, Lisa Kerr now is part of my support day and Laurie Lee came in. Scottish families to take lead on all in the family. It's just a great wee team. I couldn't ask for a better team. It's been an unusual way to start a team. Not to meet somebody in person, but meet them online. Even right down to doing the interviews and stuff. It was like really bizarre. It was like, right, okay. But you have to get over that, right? That's that's that was something that was out of your control. But then then came that we need to have a launch. And I just remember we're all looking at each other going, How on earth are we going to launch a service in the middle of a pandemic? You know, it was quite, for me, because obviously I'd been like, if we get accepted this, oh my God, my lunch is going to be amazing and people are going to be face-to-face. I was raging that we couldn't have a face-to-face lunch. We're doing all these spectacular things and kept a wee pocket of money aside to do all the wee extras and all that. And I was like, for God's sake. But we've done it. We, we, I mean, our attendance for our launch was amazing because I think people were zoomed out by the time we launched in October. Uh, we were just persistent about people coming. I think we up your phone about three times a week and all that. But our launch was really well received. It's been challenging to do a service in COVID, without a doubt. I'm under no illusions that 
or perhaps no catch them is what we would if we were in the beacons and face to face with people, which is frustrating for me because I think, my God, there's still people out there that really need to support, but Zoom isn't for everybody, and I totally understand that, but it's no for the one who's going out and engaging, you know, and hopefully we'll be back out really, really soon. I'm just, you know, in my head, I'm just going to think when we go out, I think I'll be like that wee mad Duracell bunny, they'll be like going to sit down, you know, there'll no be any places that will no try, and... Laurie Lee and Lisa, totally the same. They're, they're just chatting at the bit to get out. So uh, it's, it's been like, here's a great service, here's a great opportunity for you, but we're going to put the reins on you a wee bit. So it's quite frustrating for us. And I'm like, oh. But even on that, on the back of that, we all in the family, you know, we've also secured money, which is, again, really exciting. Because you have, for me, I have partners of things, rattles around a bit in my head, right? And it's like, what one can I, can I make reality? So we secured a bit of funding again from Cora for us to develop 12 family first responders because initially in the first um, all the family project it was four and that was built into it and I just kind of was a bit cheeky and pushed it right up to the 12 um, back to that shy beans don't get any cake and I just pure pushed it right up which is really exciting for me because what we're doing is developing this whole kind of new programme that I'm not aware of MD does that we're, we're, we're training families to you know take control of their own communities almost, um, very peer-led. And I, I can't wait to get in all around about that. It's about kind of gain families the platform that they probably should have had years ago, but they've always been very back-footed family members, I've felt, um, being a bit of an afterthought or a tick-box exercise. And it's a bit like, no, you've just done the getting this. So for me, I'm, I'm majorly excited, you know, they're going to be sitting in the beacons, you know, first responders all throughout and, and taking control of that themselves so that for me that's pure exciting as well um I so I can't wait so you can imagine me when I get out well that's <laughs> my big crazy Tasmanian person whizzing about so um I, I think Laurie Lee and Lisa will need to put me in a lead for a wee bit but I've no doubt the lassies will be right beside me because we're all just chatting at the bit now well it's been a year right it's time to kind of get a rest now so but I know it's been amazing um Covid for me has been amazing it's been challenging but Again, it just shows you, you know, a perseverance and resilience. If we can get through COVID and launch a, launch a new service in the middle of COVID, then what are we going to do once we get outside? Um, so I'm quite excited about it. I'm not being defeated by COVID. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's incredible to hear just how well the service is doing, especially because we know how much of an impact COVID has had on families affected by alcohol and drugs. We've, we've done the reports, we've thrown out the statistics, we're showing people that. So it's just, it's brilliant to have, it's brilliant to have you and Lisa and Laura Lee supporting all the families in South Lanarkshire. So, you know, I think you've just, you've really wonderfully spoken about port groups and how valuable they can be and how helpful they can be. So what would you say to somebody themselves who would be interested in sort of taking the same journey that you did and starting their own support group? What would you say to them? Don't overthink it. Just do it. Because if I was to... <laughs> somebody came in and says to me, in 2019, when you walk through the door of Scottish families, this is what you're going to do up to then, right? I, I've had some amazing opportunities and I've, I, I work with the most amazing people and, and I'm really grateful for the people that, you know, I, that I work with from yourselves at Scottish families and, 
and um, you know meeting Suzy, you know, and I would say to them, go and speak to Suzy McClure, she'll guide you in the right direction, she'll kill me for saying that. <laughs> Suzy will keep you right. It's, I've had some amazing opportunities, you know, I sit in a working group for um, Parliament for the whole family approach, which is a, I think for me that was a pinch moment. For me that was totally, remember coming home and saying to my husband, he thought, aye, right, you're having a laugh, who's got a, you Parliament, go and talk to him about Coronation Street, you know, it was like a growing joke. But it was definitely a pinch moment for me, I think. And the way that I keep doing it is I don't overthink. I don't think, you know, I've got these amazing stuff that's ahead of me. Twelve people to train as family first responders. I'm under no illusions. The amount of work it's going to go into it, the amount of prep it has to go into it, the training and everything that goes with it. I'm under no illusion, but I don't overthink it. And I go with my gut instinct a lot of the times. A lot of times people will challenge me and and my way of thinking and how I do stuff, you know, especially sometimes without people realising, they're like, ah, it's just a family member, and I'm like, oh, wait a wee minute here, you know, so it's like, uh, you do get challenged doing this a wee bit, but I would just say, you've got to go with your heart, go with your gut. We all have the moments of self-doubt. There's been many moments, I've had moments of self-doubt, and I think, I'm crazy, like, like who, who am I kidding? But you just need to park them and put them aside. And remember why you're initially doing it for the what the reasons are you're doing it for. That, that that's to help and support other people. I don't overthink it and keep it really simple. Don't complex things. I, I sit in sometimes some things and people overcomplicate such the simplest solutions. We're not going out today all singing and dancing with family members, but we're doing is creating them a safe place for them to talk and air how they feel and feel reconnected again with somebody because it's better than disconnection because it's so isolating and just don't overcomplicate it and just take it as it comes. I just take it as it comes every day. I try and look at my diary until a Sunday night because um, <laughs> it would scare me some weeks. <laughs> but, um, but don't be faced by it because what you'll find is people genuinely want to support you and they want to see you succeed. And if you're kind of struggling, it's like have that person to go in there. I'm feeling a bit like this. But genuinely, people are always here to support you. I would say just do it. Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it. There's no problems. There's a solution to every problem. And you're doing it for the right reasons of supporting people. That's lovely. Thank you so, so much. Now, for anybody that's listening who wants to get in touch with your service in South Lanarkshire, do you want to tell them how? So, the All in the Family service in South Lanarkshire, you can contact us via email, which is allinthefamily at asfad.org.uk, or if you want to contact myself about anything to do with my support day, if you're thinking about doing your own support group and wanting wee bits of tips, you know, you can contact me through melmcpherson at thebeacons.org.uk. Thank you for listening. If you're worried about someone else's alcohol and drug use, you can contact Scottish Families on 08080 101011 or by email at helpline at sfad.org.uk. We also have web chat and further information on our website www.sfad.org.uk.